Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Please enjoy our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also, listen to our roundtable discussions as myself, Greg Ross, and Eric Feeman talk about the major theological discussions of the Bible. Also, enjoy some of our interviews and apostolic apologetic series. We thank you so much for listening. Please let us know what you think by emailing BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com. And also leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Bible 101. Today we're going to be doing another lesson in our Apostolic Apologetic series, and I'm going to call this Pluralistic Language in John 14. And um, let's read the verse of Scripture, and we're going to walk through this. Now, before I get into this lesson, let me just kind of give a warning for this particular lesson. I do not recommend listening to this lesson if you are not first firmly, firmly grounded in one God doctrine. What does that mean? Uh, if you do not know about the revelation of God in Christ, is according to Second Corinthians chapter five and verse number uh, nineteen, uh, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. And if you don't know about in the Old Testament, over and over and over again, we are told. God stretched forth the heavens alone. He spread abroad the earth by himself. You can read that in the book of Isaiah. And you can also read in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And I know some people would say Echad, and they would say, Well, yeah, but man and wife are called one flesh. Yes, but uh, the Bible does call God one, but it's not unlike the English word one. Uh, I can use one as in the concept of I am one person, or I could say that me and my wife, we are one, meaning we are one in spirit, uh, we are one in attitude, perhaps uh, one in marriage, but we would not, uh, we could not in any sense say that we are one person, me and my wife. Okay, well, in the same way, you can't say that God is one and yet three separate persons. That those are two, uh, those are two totally opposite ideas, and so you can't, uh, you cannot connect those two concepts. And so, if you're not firmly grounded in one God doctrine, I don't suggest listening to this lesson uh, because I'm going to be dealing with something today that is probably one of the most complicated subjects of the oneness doctrine. And it's something that for a while I had honestly struggled with. And uh, to be honest, my explanation could be a little bit in depth. So for the person that doesn't really have a concept of one God, I don't really suggest listening to this lesson. Uh, if you don't have a concept of one God, I recommend just sticking with the Bible one, Bible, excuse me, Bible 101, uh, lesson one through lesson 12. We've done 12 lessons so far. I recommend sticking with that series. Also, um, looking at Water and Spirit, and in a future lesson, we'll be doing a whole series on the message of salvation, and also we're going to be doing a series on the oneness of God. So hang on for that. Uh, stop listening at this point if you don't have a concept of one God. If you're still thinking of God as a, as a trinity or you don't really understand the concept of God in Christ, I don't recommend listening to this. Also, if you're not firmly grounded 
in the concept of Jesus as the Word. I also don't uh, suggest listening to this lesson. Really, this lesson is geared at two types of individuals. The first type of individual is the person that understands the oneness of God very well, but does have questions about this particular subject today, the pluralistic language in John chapter 14. And also this is geared at the person maybe that is curious about how uh, oneness apostolics would respond to the question. And so I'm, I'm kind of shooting for those two groups of people. So let's read the verse of Scripture and let's talk about it, okay? John chapter 14 and verse number 23. And also before I begin, let me say this. I may answer this question differently than some people would answer it. But uh, let me just give you the answer that, that, um, that I feel like the Lord put on my heart and hopefully it'll be a blessing to somebody. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered. Now he's talking to his disciples, okay? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, uh, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now notice the pluralistic language here. He's talking about the Father uh, and the Son, and he says, We, plural, will come unto him and make our, plural, abode with him. Okay, so in context, Jesus is talking to his disciples here uh, before his death, and he's giving them some very powerful revelations. In these few chapters in John, we have what's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Uh, we have uh, Jesus giving us powerful revelations of his oneness. And so let me just point out a few things here. Why would this be a difficult scripture to understand for, from a oneness perspective? Well, because this. We believe that Jesus is God, but that doesn't complete the sentence. Watch. Jesus, we believe that Jesus is God, manifested in the flesh, revealed in the flesh. We do not believe in divine flesh. Let me explain. I don't believe that his flesh was divine. But what dwelt in that flesh? Remember, Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. I don't believe in a divine flesh, but I do believe that, uh, that God was in Christ. Again, 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. Um, and also you can read 2 Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Uh, For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest or revealed in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preaching to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Um, and then you can also read in Colossians 2, um, you can read verses uh, 8 through 10. Uh, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. Now I'm quoting this. If I say something wrong, uh, please excuse me. For in him, verse 9 of Colossians 2, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Uh, the book of Hebrews chapter number 1 says he is the express image of the Father's person, and that word person is in my opinion, uh, can also be translated. And if you look at the Hebrew word, it's never translated person, except in this one place. What it means is essence. So it says, he's the express image. Okay, notice that. He's the express image of his person. What does that mean? He is the, uh, if you see him, you've seen the Father. That's what he said in John 14. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. So it's very important that you understand God was in 
Christ. Jesus said he didn't do anything of himself. The Father that dwelt in him did the works. Okay, he's the express image of his essence. All right, you see him, you see God. The only way you can see God is in the face of Jesus Christ. John 4, 24, God is a spirit. Okay, he is invisible as a spirit. John 1, 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, that means in closest relationship with, he hath declared him. And so it's important that we understand that God was in Christ before we get into our discussion here today. Now, if you're going to understand verse 23, Notice it's verse 23, not verse 1. This isn't the only verse in this chapter. We must understand the context. What is the context? Well, let's back up. Let's go to verse number 6, and let's read through verse 8. Je uh, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. Notice the definite article here. The way, the truth, and the life. Stop. That doesn't leave a lot of room for other persons. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, you may say, well, that's not an important point. It is an important point. He's saying, I am, I am, I am. Notice all the I am's in John. There's lots. He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Uh, uh, I am the vine, and, and ye are the branches. And then he says, you know, uh, so many other I am's in the scripture. Before Abraham was, I am. A uh, lot of I am's in John. He focuses a lot on I am, going back to the reference in Exodus where God revealed himself, I am that I am. Go and tell the children of Israel, I am, has sent me unto thee. So they would understand what that means. And so he gives the I am here. Uh, remember how he opened his, his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you find out in John 1, 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the only, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he starts it off saying, hey, look, he wasn't just a man. He was divine. Okay? So that's why he focuses on the I am statements of Jesus. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he says this, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Stop. Let's talk about this. What does he mean by this? Okay, it's important for you to understand that the Jews had this transcendent view of God. What does that mean? Transcendent means that God was beyond human touch. Uh, you couldn't comprehend God. You couldn't touch God. God is far above uh, human concepts. In fact, they had what was called circumlocutions, which they were afraid to speak the name of God. So they would use phrases like the right hand of power. Uh, they would use, uh, like if they were walking through the scripture and they would see the divine name of God, Lord, in, in our English translation, all in caps, Yahweh, or there's different ways of pronouncing that. And if they came upon that name, they were scared they were going to mispronounce it and that God would judge them. And so they would use what's called a circumlocution they would say, for instance, instead they would say Adonai, or they would say something else um, that, you know, a different name for God because they were afraid they were going to mispronounce the divine name of God. And so they had a lot of respect for God. They thought of God as transcendent, high above human uh, concepts and human ideas. And so they said, well, we can't comprehend God. And notice what Jesus says here. Now remember, uh, go back to Bible 101, Lesson 3. I've referred back to that lesson a lot. It's so important to understand the rest of the Bible because when sin came into the world, there was what's called the fall. And that fall caused there to be a separation between God and man. God can't dwell with sin. He's pure. He's holy. He's perfect. He can't dwell with sin. And so there was a separation that came between man and God at that point. And so uh, then 
we must understand that you can't approach a holy God on your own. And so what happened was uh, there was that instituted animal sacrifice. God killed an animal, clothed Adam and Eve. He clothed their, their nakedness which, of course, was a, was a type of their sin because when they sinned, they were ashamed of their nakedness. God clothed their sin with, uh, with animal skins. He killed an animal, so he set the precedent of animal sacrifice. Then later on, we read that Abel, uh, his sacrifice was honored while Cain's was not. Abel's was a blood sacrifice. It was of his first fruits. It was of the fat thereof, all things that would later be commanded by the law. Uh, and please excuse me for moving through these things so quickly, but for those of you that may not understand all of these things, it's so important for you to understand this because uh, this was a type and shadow of things to come. And so uh, when, when God killed a, uh, an animal in the beginning, it was a type of Jesus Christ because when John saw him, he pointed to him and told his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And that's what Jesus came to do. He was the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice because the blood of bulls and goats, you can read this in Hebrews, uh, cannot take away sin. But the blood of Jesus can take away sin. Uh, and without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins. And so what was the purpose of animal sacrifice? It was a pointing toward Calvary. And so I like to think of it this way. It was a compiling of the debt, but pushing the penalty off. Remember God said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But they didn't die the day they ate it. But they did die eventually. There was a separation between them and God. I'm not going to get into all that. But they did die eventually. But it was some 900 plus years later that Adam died. Okay, so he lived for a long time, and uh, but God pushed the penalty off, and he pushed it off. And so when they would sacrifice an animal, the penalty for their sin would be pushed ahead, pushed ahead, pushed ahead. And so when the law was instituted, there was animal sacrifice, and the, their sins were pushed ahead, pushed ahead, until Calvary. That's why on Calvary, Jesus said the words, it is finished. And that is one, uh, one word, basically, and they found it on tax receipts in Rome, that meant paid in full. And so animal sacrifice, calls the penalty to be pushed ahead, ahead, ahead until Calvary where Jesus paid it in full. Oh, that's so awesome. And I, I can't talk about that without getting emotional. It's just, it's powerful. It's incredible. Uh, what what Jesus did on Calvary, it, it cannot be explained. And excuse me for getting emotional because it's, it's such a powerful, powerful revelation of what Jesus did on Calvary. He took away all our sins. That's why it says there's no longer a need for, for the blood of bulls and goats. You know, uh, after Jesus was crucified, they were still offering animals at the temple. They were still sacrificing. And, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them, hey, look, don't go back to the law because they were facing pressure as Jewish Christians. He said, don't go back to the law. He said, they, they keep offering all these animals, but it's not doing them any good because this blood of bulls and goats cannot atone for sin. Okay. Having said all of that, that's what Jesus meant. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, Jesus revealed the Father unto us. He, uh, the seed of the Spirit and the womb of a woman brought forth Jesus. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman. That's Galatians 4 and 4. Made under the law to redeem them that are under the law. It was important that he was born under the law so that he could redeem those that are under the law. Okay, So he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Right? And so Jesus came and he, he bridged the gap between us and the Father. God is perfect. He's without sin. We are sinful human beings. We could not come into his presence of our own merit. But God allowed throughout the institution of the law and through animal sacrifice for them to temporarily, uh, 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 excuse me, for them to have their, their sins removed until Calvary as a way for him to dwell in their midst. All right? 
because he said, I, I will come in and dwell. And he dwelt in that temple in, in the, the, holy, uh, the Holy of Holies, but only the high priest could enter there and only once a year. Again, that's why it's so important for if you don't understand these concepts, you, you, you probably don't need to be listening to this lesson because it can get pretty intense. Okay, so let's read this again and maybe you can understand a little bit better. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can only get to the Father in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Okay, you cannot approach the Father in and of your own merit, in and of your own works, in and of your own ability. You can only do it through the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot stand before God without the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot stand before God without the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. That's why he said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, uh, I'll do it for you. You have to ask it in Jesus' name. When you pray for the sick, you pray in Jesus' name. When you cast out devils, you cast out devils in Jesus' name. Um, you've got to take on his name. You've got to pray in his name because he's the mediator. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and man. What is a mediator? Uh, one that reconciles between two parties. And so he's attempting to reconcile two parties. He's, he's our advocate, the Bible calls it. He's our high priest, the Bible calls him. Oh, oh, it's so powerful. There's so many things that Jesus does. And he says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And you have to excuse me again. I'm getting emotional here. But it's, it's such a powerful revelation of what Jesus does. I'm so thankful for Jesus. And I know I, I heard people make fun of a guy one time and they said uh, you know, he, they were laughing at him because he said thank God for Jesus. But I understand what he means by that. Okay? I understand what that He's meaning thank God for that mediatorial work because without the shedding of bloods no remission of sins, none of us would have access into the presence of God if it wasn't for Jesus. Boy, I didn't attempt to, I didn't mean to get into all this but here I am anyway. And it says uh, verse uh, 7 of John 14, if you had known me you should have known my father also and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him okay philip saith unto him this is verse 8 of john 14 show us the father and it sufficeth us now remember we're talking about the context of the we and our uh, in in uh, the pluralistic language in John 14 and verse 23. And so uh, Philip was confused by Jesus' speech because he, he he's probably thinking, you keep talking about the Father, the Father, the Father, and you say we know him. Well, just show us the Father, and it'll be sufficient for us. The next verse is so important. Okay? John 14 and verse 9. We quote it oftentimes as oneness apostolics, but I'm not sure we always understand what it means. Jesus saith in him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Okay, stop. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does that mean? Remember, no man can see God at any time. No man has seen God at any time. That's mentioned in several places. Okay, um, and so then he goes on to say, uh, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, uh, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Okay, and I, I had several things I typed out the, the other night, and I want to read these to you. These verses clearly reveal two truths. Number one, Jesus is the visible image of the Father. You can see also Colossians 1.15, it says, who is the image, talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. John 1.18, I already quoted it. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, yet declared him. First Timothy 3.16, I already quoted it. For without controversy, the greatest mystery of God, and God was manifest in the flesh, or revealed, justified 
in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received into the glory. You can also see Colossians 2 and 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay? And then, so that's number one. Jesus is the image, the visible image of the Father. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You can't see God as a spirit. But uh, Jesus said in the book of Luke, after he's resurrected from the dead, he said, a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see I have. In other words, the spirit does not cannot shed blood. But the Bible says God purchased the church by his own blood. That's Acts 20 and 28. How did he do that? Through Jesus Christ. Through that manifested image of God. Uh, God's no longer transcendent. He, he's right here. You can touch him. You can feel him. That's why John said, we have, in 1 John, he said, we've touched, we've seen, uh, we were with him. And so Jesus said, he's dwelling with you. He, sh he shall be in you. We'll read that here in a minute. Okay, and then it says this. Uh, he was talking about the Spirit there. And then number two. So number one is uh, Jesus is the image, the visible image of the Father. Number two, Jesus did all his miraculous works through the Father who dwelled in him. Okay, he said the Father... Let's read that again, because, uh, oh, this is so important. It's so beautiful. Y'all have to excuse me. I get excited when I talk about the oneness of God. It's such a powerful revelation. To me, it's the most powerful revelation in the scripture is the oneness of God. Okay, and let, let's read this here. He said, verse 10 of John uh, 9, uh, excuse me, John 14 and verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Notice that he said, I speak not of the words of myself, and I can't do anything of myself, but the Father does the works. So if you believe in a trinity, this does major damage to the doctrine of the trinity that says they're co-equal and co-eternal, because it says the Son was, was, uh, was uh, eternal, and uh, he's co-equal with the Father, and can do all the same things that the Father can do. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, I can do nothing of myself. This is the Son speaking. He said, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. In other words, how the Son did the miraculous works was through the power of the Father, the eternal Spirit of God. Okay? And that's why he said, if you've seen me, Philip, You've seen the Father. Because if there was a trinity, Philip would have said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a vision. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll show you something. Uh, but he said, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. That tells us very clearly they're not separate persons. God dwelt in Jesus Christ. Okay. And so the Father did all uh, the miraculous works. He did it in the Son. In Jesus. So if you think of the Father, think Spirit, the eternal Spirit of God, the creative power of God, the miraculous works of God. You think the Son, think the humble, obedient servant, uh, Jesus Christ, who revealed the Father to us, who walked the earth, who hungered like a man, who slept like a man, who hungered, uh, uh, excuse me, who, who died on the cross as a man. Okay? The Spirit can't die. He died on the cross as a man. Oh, this is so powerful. So he was fully God and he was fully man. So again, if you see son, think of flesh. If you see father, think of spirit. Okay, John 14, verses 14 through 16. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. I've already discussed this at length. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. At this point, you probably think that the comforter is clearly another person because Jesus used the word another that would seem to indicate a, a, a separate person. The disciples probably thought the same, but Jesus went on to explain. That's why context is so important. Verse 17, 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. Watch this. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Oh, this is so awesome. So he's telling them, he says, this comforter dwells with you right now. Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about himself. He dwells with you now, but there's coming a day he shall be in you. Now watch this. So Jesus was dwelling with them at that moment, but he told them that he would dwell inside of them. The next verse of Scripture, in case there was any confusion, he made it uh, perfectly clear. Verse 18 of John 14. Please read this along in your Bible. This is so awesome. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So now he clearly reveals to us that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Not separate persons. God dwells in Christ. Now he says the Spirit right now is with you. The Comforter is with you right now, but he shall be in you, indicating very clear. And then he goes on to say, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Meaning when you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This is so powerful. Uh, so here he clearly reveals himself as the comforter. And then in this context, Jesus said, John 14, 23, return to our text. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. What does this mean? So we've already established the fact that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of Christ. So we must understand this verse in context. Now, before I explain, let's see how many times the Holy Ghost is revealed as the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son. Let's read Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. Watch this very carefully. Follow along in your Bible. Flip open in your Bible right now. Wherever you're sitting, I encourage you, get your Bible, get your tablet, get something out that has the Bible on it, and read along. Oh, you're, this is powerful revelation here. Romans chapter 8, and verse number 9 through 11. I give all glory to God. I, I've prayed about this, these portions of Scripture, and I believe that the Lord gave me a powerful revelation. It says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ... Stop. So it's called the Spirit of Christ. Okay? He is none of his. Verse 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the Spirit of him who that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Stop. Verse 9 tells us the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of Christ. Verse 10 tells us it's Christ in us. Okay? Now, verse 11 tells us it's the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead that dwells in us. Who raised up Christ from the dead? Romans 6 and 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So, it's the spirit of the Father that raised up Christ from the dead. So, he tells us in Romans chapter number 8, uh, in verses 9 through 11, verse 9, that it's the Spirit of God uh, and it's the Spirit of Christ, okay? Verse 10, it's Christ in us. Verse 11, it's the Spirit of the Father that raised up Christ from the dead that dwells in us. So the Holy Ghost is called both the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son, and of course it's called the Holy Ghost. All right? 
So here the father's clearly identified as the one who raised Jesus from the dead. I'm reading again my notes. These are notes I typed the other night. When you think of the father, think about the creator, the sustainer, the only wise God. Jesus revealed the father to us in flesh and identified with our suffering and shame. He intercedes on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 24 through 25. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Okay, um, so the Spirit of God lived in Christ and did the works. The man Christ Jesus suffered with us and for us. He humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. You can read that in the book of Philippians. That The Bible says he, he was obedient even uh, unto death, even to the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that's Philippians chapter number 2. Uh, take time to go read that, please. That'll be your homework. Okay, so when you receive the Holy Ghost, you are receiving the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. So Jesus prays for us and through us. Let's read uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Remember, it's Jesus that ever liveth to make intercession for us, okay? It's his mediatorial work that's still making intercession for you. His blood still cries on your behalf. Remember, it speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. Now let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So here it's identified as the Holy Ghost making intercession for us. Remember, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. All right? Now watch this. Uh, here the one who makes intercession is identified as the Spirit. In Hebrews, we are told that Jesus is the one that makes intercession for us. Again, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 through 25. But so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The Father dwells in you and gives you power to be witnesses, to work miracles, and even to rise from the dead. Remember, Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So the Spirit of the Father talks about uh, the creative power of God, talks about the miracle power of God. Let me just tell you, you have that same power dwelling in you today. If you have the Holy Ghost, you've got the Spirit of Father working in you. But there's something else that's powerful. Okay, so that, again, that Romans 8 and 11, we can read that for proof that it's the spirit of the Father that raised up Christ from the dead. And he says, he shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So if you have the spirit of the Holy Ghost, you have the spirit of the Father. He's going to raise you up from the dead. Your death will not be the end. You will be raptured out of this world. You'll be taken up uh, into heaven by the spirit of the Father. When you receive the Holy Ghost, though, you receive the Father and the Son. But this is one spirit. It's called the Holy Ghost that dwells in you. But it's also called the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of Christ. What does this mean? When you receive the Spirit of the Father, you receive that creative power, that miracle power, that sustaining power, that healing power, that delivering power, that saving power. But when you receive the Spirit of Christ, it's talking about the humble uh, the humbleness of Christ. His, he submitted unto death, even to the death of the cross. He was humble in his submission. He served God faithfully. Uh, 
And so when you receive the Spirit of Christ, you receive that humble spirit. You receive that mediatorial work. You receive that, uh, that humility, that, uh, that lowliness, that, uh, that ability, though, who was tempted in all points yet without sin, that ability to overcome temptation. So when you think of the Father, think of the creative power of God, think of the sustaining power of God, think of the healing power of God, you think of the Spirit of the Father, think about that. When you think about the Spirit of the Son, think about uh, the humility of Jesus Christ. Think about His obedience. Think about how He was tempted yet did not sin. Think about His lowliness. Think about how He submitted to the Father. Think about His intercessory work. So you receive both the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the the Son. That's why he said, we will come unto you and make our abode with you. And then, but he says uh, very clearly, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come with you. He said, he that he said he dwells with you and shall be in you. You see me, you've seen the Father. Can I just say this? You receive both the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son, but this is one Spirit. That's why it's called the Holy Ghost. Okay, now you may still have some questions about this, but can I tell you, you're not alone. You know why you've got questions? Try to comprehend God is a little baby boy that needed his diaper changed. And I know I'm being a little uh, facetious here, but try to comprehend God being hungry. Try to comprehend God dying on the cross. You can't comprehend it. And of course, we understand he did all those things through Christ. But you can't comprehend it why there's parts of the incarnation that's amazing. That's why 1 Timothy 3.16 starts out saying, Great is the mystery of godliness. But what is the mystery? God was manifest in the flesh. That's the mystery. That's so hard for us to understand. We can't wrap our minds around it. And so what I've explained here today may be a little bit above your head. But take time to study this and go into it. Because think about that. You don't, when you receive the Spirit of Christ... You also receive the Spirit of the Father. It's called the Holy Ghost. It's one Spirit. And let me prove this point in closing. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. I'm going to prove the point that it may be called the Spirit of the Father, and it may be called the Spirit of the Son, and it may be called the Holy Ghost, but it's one Spirit. You want me to prove that point? Okay, let's read in the book of Ephesians. Follow along, and I'm going to close with this. All right, the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter number 4. Okay? Uh, those of you that know your Bible well are going to know where I'm going with this. Book of Ephesians, uh, chapter number 4. And let me find it here quickly. And it says this, Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in us all. So notice and in you all. So notice verse 4, one spirit. Can I tell you there's only one spirit? It's called the Spirit of the Father, and it's called the Spirit of Christ. And so uh, you receive both the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son, but that's one spirit. It's not three separate persons. It's one spirit. It just merely talks about the roles. That's why you read so many times uh, introductions to the epistles. It talks about... Uh, thanks be unto God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God and uh, God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then, of course, you read in, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 2 
uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit into obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, that's a trinity. No, that's not a trinity. That's merely talking about the different manifestations of God. God is our Father, the Creator, the Sustainer of all things. He revealed Himself through His Son and mediated, and He sent His Spirit back to infill us and indwell us and give us power to be witnesses, power to overcome sin, uh, and power to be resurrected. I hope you've enjoyed this lesson today. Please continue to tune in. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this Bible 101 episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you think. Also email BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That is B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com to leave us comments, questions, or maybe ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.